any questions on that? Ethics looked a little different this time. So can a competition organizer or judge director serve as a judge, provided they don't have any knowledge of who the entries or entrants are? Yes. Yeah, well, it's, it's virtually impossible for at least one of them to not know. But should they not know, yes, they can. Because in some cases, the red, like in the Dixie Cup, the only person that actually knows who the entrants are is the registrar. The organizer doesn't actually know. He's got too much other stuff to do. So it's the organizer or the registrar or the seller master. The only people that really know. Um, if you think that something has been placed in the wrong flight based on the style being judged, should you consult with the judge coordinator or competition organizer or just do something yourself? You consult. Yeah. Always up to the judges to defer from the table. If you've got something that takes it away from your table, you always defer that to the judge coordinators or judge director and the um, or the uh, organizers. Is there a common to do that? Yeah, you may have uh, you may be judging porters and suddenly you have just a brilliant pilsner show up. You know, a clear porter. So I mislabeled the Schwartz beer one time, but uh, got labeled as a uh -huh. He said, well, this would be a great sports beer. Well, it was a sports beer, but it was an Oktoberfest. Yeah. And see, that happens. Um, you know, and so it's up to the it's up to the entrant to correctly identify and enter their beers. It's not up to the judges to to read anything. So is it, do you really go to the judge coordinator because the judge coordinator doesn't have any power to change anything? They might. Depends on the competition. Is that right? I thought it was always a competition organizer who would have to, you know. You may have to so take it out. a change had to be made to an entry, right? You would, it would have to be the competition organizer, and so there really, you know, it isn't much point to go to the judge coordinator if you think that there's a problem like that. It's a place to start. You're correct. You, you would most oftentimes find um, it more helpful and more expedient to go directly to the organizer. But the judge coordinator is the proper person to go to to proper chain command. Could it be the same person? It could be. It, it, usually, there either is or isn't a judge coordinator depending on the size of the competition. Um, generally, a competition around 150 years or more will have somebody functioning as a judge coordinator who will probably also judge. Much about about 250, 300 entries, they generally non-judging personnel really responsible for making sure that the flights work and that the uh, the panels are properly assembled, that nobody has any entries. <coughs> so, you know, it just depends on the size of the competition. Because often the judge coordinator manages the stewards as well. Okay. Um, can a judge in, uh, can a judge evaluate beer in a flight they have entries? Or in a category they have entries? No. Never. <coughs> you 
Is it the steward's sole responsibility to do the cover sheet for beers on each flight? The cover sheet is this sheet that basically says what we're done scores. No, it's actually, it is the responsibility of the head table judge to do. However, it's not uncommon for that to be deferred to the stewards um, simply because it helps speed up the flight. Um, courteous lower limit for scores is 13. You really don't uh, give a score below 13. There have been times where one might come up with something that's such a stinker that you add it up and it may come up to a nine, but you would just write courteous lower, you know, courteous lower limit score of a 13. Okay, you would write in the numbers you actually evaluate at, but the total score is never below a 13. And then you we should have an awful lot of notes on feedback as to what to do. Besides, don't ever enter the section. Discard the rest. Pour down the drink. Could be just one bad bottle, though. Yeah, right. If you have something that is actually a 13, and it comes to your table, it, first off, it's a one in three chance that it's the one bad bottle. Okay? But if you have something that's that foul, that off, that it scores a 13. I will personally buy you a case of the Russian River 20th anniversary uh, Toronado stuff, uh, beers, if you right, okay? At $25 a bottle. I will personally buy you that if you, get, if you get the next one and it scores above a 20. Okay? Just. There is such a thing as bottle sick, where you can come along and you can you can get a contamination. But when it is so virulent and so foul, chances are it happened way before bottle. Um, chances are you might get an ever so slight Britannomyces or something off that could go be from one bottle and not be in the next. Could have been picked up in the rest of it. <clears throat> but I've never had actually that, that experience. I've had other people say, yeah, we scored one, it was like a it scored a 20, and we just we thought, oh, this deserves another chance. So we went ahead and grabbed another bottle, and it scored a 38. I've never had that happen. I've been at tables where it's come, and you know, the second bottle is just as bad as the first. I <coughs> oftentimes think that what's happening is palate carryover, where something was fouled before, or something was off in a previous beer, and they get another bottle, and it has basically exactly the same contamination. Well, wait a minute. Maybe it's not this bottle. Maybe, you know, or maybe it's just this bottle. Maybe it's not the brewer. And they'll go for another one. The only trouble with that is, is that if it winds up being the high score, I have, I have a personal problem with sending that on to Best of Show. Because you've had, you now have a 50-50 chance that the next bottle is contaminated. Because you had one good, one bad. I kind of, and it's not an official role, but at least in my competitions, I kind of point out that if you do want the second bottle, that's fine, but that bottle cannot go to second. That beer can no longer go to test or show. It now can be no higher than your second place beer. Uh, it's, you know, it's not an official thing for the BJCP. It's just something that I do because, quite honestly, if the brewer fouled up on one bottle, 
than it is the best of show quality here. <coughs> Just my personal feeling. Make me feel. Is score in the outstanding range is reserved for beers that not only lack flaws but have that special intangible heart of defined quality that great beers have. Yeah, that's true. Uh, only the judge, director, or competition organizer can disqualify an entry. That's true. Um, you should write your full name and judging rank on each score sheet. That's true. Used to be we would just write, you know, first, first name and the last initial. It was very AA-like. And um, it, we were afraid that if we dinged somebody's beer, they would come after us or confront us or whatever. I have, for the last 15 years, put my email address on every single score sheet. And I've only been contacted once. And I probably evaluate the better part of 600 beers in year. Or do 600 score sheets. And that's so, the one that got best to show. Uh, there was the one, yeah, the one I talked about, the, um, yeah, a, a guy who did a utopia club, and he was thanking for what I did. And I've written plenty of snicker score sheets. The trick is, have good feedback. Always do your best to offer constructive feedback.
said ordinary better. Better. Ordinary bitter. Yeah, English ordinary bitter. Oh. I do. Okay. Ordinary best better. Uh, ordinary or best bitter. That is the, that is the style you were evaluating. Do I need one more? Single one more. Single one
writing comments or doing the scores as well? Scores. Score. Score.
to turn in a score sheet that our most whoever wants to see the most complete score sheets. We'll get something in the next year.
question was, do we kind of figure out a score in our head and then work backwards to make it all add up? There are judges that do that. Um, it's a valid approach. However, I find it kind of problematic and kind of difficult because it locks you in. Um, I start by evaluating the beer. I find what I find in the beer. I mention what I'm looking for and don't find, whether or not it's a flaw two things that I look for in every single beer. And I'll state, no DMS, no diacetyl. I look for a hop aroma, even, even in um, a lambic. No hop aroma, no discernible hop aroma. Because what I'm doing by that is I'm communicating what the brewer's gotten right. Okay? Communicate that by saying as expected for stock, or just as expected. Okay. Um, and then I kind of evaluate when I, after I'm finished writing everything, I'll think to myself, does this kind of meet my expectations? If it's not a flawed beer, then it's going to be at least whatever my average is, plus a few points. If it's a pretty decent beer, if it kind of exceeds my expectations. If it's got flaws, I may start right at my average and work my way down. If the flaws, and there's, there's pleasant parts, but there's flaws, then it's going to kind of be a, a, wait, a waiting game. But the one thing you have to define is what's average. 
where is the middle? Um, because if my middle is 25, because it's a 50 point scale, then, and somebody else's middle is 30, then automatically for an average beer, we're going to be five points apart. And if we have even the slightest disagreement, I go down two points, they go up two points, we're way off. We've got a lot of discussing. So you've got to kind of figure out where average is. Um, my average has crept up. It used to be about 26, and now it's about 30. And only because uh, it's become easier to just reconcile scores that way. I was weighting it down at 26. If 13 is my low, and about 48, 49 is my high, then I'm not dealing with an entirely a 50-point scale, am I? So by weighing it down to about 26, I was offering more points for good beers and deducting fewer points for flawed beers. To me, that was a pretty decent approach. Other people prefer, more people prefer to sort of do a 50-50 weight on that. That puts their middle right around 30, 31. So it's easier for me to come up to the mass than make them all sink down to my level. Um, so there's, you know, in 30 tends to be about average for most people. And um, I'll just go through, and especially on aroma flavor, I'll just go, well, you know, is it, is it better than I think it ought to be? You know, is it better than I expected? Is it better than average? <clears throat> most beers are going to be average, because that's kind of the definition of average, isn't it? Where most things are. So, you know, if, if I'm looking at 20 points in flavor, eh, you know, it's, it's 10. It's about average. It's a 12. It's a pretty good beer. If it's a 14, it's a very good beer. If it's a 16, it's an outstanding beer. Because I'm running out of points. Um, but that all makes a huge difference in the end. The one thing to really pay attention to is the, sh the box at the bottom. Um, there's a box at the bottom that gives you a range of outstanding on down to problematic, uh, with 13 being the score. It says zero to 13, but honestly, it's 13 is a problem. It's a very problematic here. Pass out these things for reference while we are um, pass those back behind you. Um, for reference while we're tasting tonight. From here on in, I would like you guys when we start discussing beers. Start by saying, in, you know, sort of in a Jeopardy-like fashion, the appearance is, the aroma is, the mouthfeel is, and the flavor is, and then state your descriptor. So don't just say vegetal. Say the aroma is vegetal, the flavor is, okay? Be specific about what you're applying your uh, description to, okay? This will help make your evaluations a little bit clearer. It'll make them more succinct. And it'll actually organize your thoughts a little bit better as to what you're exactly talking about. Um, and then when it comes to writing score sheets during the exam or writing score sheets for yourself, evaluating your own beer, you'll have clearer, more organized thoughts and better evaluations as a result. So let's talk about that beer. <laughs> Well, this 
успокивает. It's just an entry. It's just a beer you've been presented with to evaluate. Let's start with it. What were the pluses? What was the best thing about it? Clarity. How about head retention? How about head texture? Yes. The irony is I found that the most squad beers are the most beautiful. So, now, now, stop that. Um, so, as you get into it, what was the aroma? What was the first thing that you about the aroma? Malt. Malt, what kind of malt? Coffee, caramel. Caramel, coffee, okay. Any other, anything you didn't expect in that? Green apple, red apple, bruised apple, ripe apple, what? Yes, see a lot of Green apple, okay. Okay. How about vegetal? No? No vegetal note? No sourness? Black sour. Yeah. Stringent. Well, you can't get astringents necessarily in the aroma. So the aroma was sour. Green apple, caramel, toastiness at the moment? In the aroma. In the aroma? Okay. Hops? Slow. I couldn't really discern it. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't really discern the malt either. I think that fruitiness just seemed to get so strong that it just overpowered. When it got a little power over everything, it was less cold. It really started, your fruitiness just started to Okay. And when I taste, the first taste that I use, I use it for aftertaste and mouthfeel when I evaluate it. That's the first thing that I start writing. Because it's easier, it's all there. And then I kind of, because I kind of have an impression of what the flavor is, but when I'm really able to, to think about what's really uh, working in my mouth is the mouthfeel. So I'll write mouthfeel right after I do aroma with my first set. So I start with appearance, do aroma, and then put a mouthfeel. Uh, how was the mouthfeel? A little thin on the body. How was the carbonation? High. High. Medium, okay. Um, most people, I think, it was probably overcarbonated. It was overcarbonated. Um, and how was the creaminess? Was there any? Mild creaminess, okay. How about astringents? Yeah. Yes? Noticeable astringents. Okay. How about something that's not on that list? One thing that I put in a mouthfeel is hot bite. The actual, it's a, the texture of the bitterness. Some beers have a very aggressive hop bite. Others will have a cloying hop bite. Others will have a slightly spicy hop bite. Um, how was the hop bite in this? Was there any? I got a question on that the hop bite. I think it feels like a hop bite, but I think it's more of a sourness to it. Could be, yeah. Definite pucker effect. With sourness, we would consider a flavor, so. Um, but the astringents would be a mouthfeel. 
So we go to flavor, we'll definitely have sourness. Does the apple come through the way it did in the aroma? In the flavor? Or the fruitiness? Yeah. The fruitiness comes through, but the apple doesn't. You see the aldehyde, it's not in the flavor. Okay. So you can make that as a note. You see the aldehyde not present in the flavor. EMS? Vegetable oak at all? Was it uh, alcohol hot or alcohol warming in any way? Kind of back to mouthfeel there. All right. So kind of showing going through that. So by a show of hands, who scored this thing at least a 13? Keep your hands up. Didn't score a 13? Oh, that's true, you didn't hear it. Right. Uh, I gave something different entirely, my fault. So, scored at least a 13. Who scored at least a 20? Hands up. Okay, who scored at least a 25? 30? 35? We had some people who, who scored at least a 35. You guys scored at, where'd, where'd you go, 37? 40? You guys were both at 40. For an ordinary bitter, you would, you would expect those flavors in an ordinary bitter? I didn't get those flavors. Okay. Okay. Now tell us how bad we were. Um, well, it was definitely sour. Um, it was uh, actually a blend of two different homebrews. One which did have a vegetable characteristic and had a strong astringence. Another one which had a very pronounced sourness to it. Um, and I thought it had some DMS. And um, also blended with a commercial example of ordinary bitter. Wow, that's bitter. So there were three that's brewers involved. Right, right bitter. <laughs> I got the good one. <laughs> what was the commercial brewer? Oh, London Fried. You didn't plenty of London Fried, you must say. So, so Kevin, how would you have uh, scored that? What did you score that? Um, I would have been somewhere around a 19 to 20. This is very much a, this, this beer had an awful lot of issues to address. What kind of what kind of address do we need to give this? Do we need to give it a recipe uh, change? Do we need to say anything about recipe? Sanitation. Fermentation. Fermentation is a process. How about rest? Let's start with recipes. So there was really no recipe issues. It was the base beer, at least what they tried to make, was along the lines of what you'd expect in an ordinary bitter, right? Maybe a little more hop. Maybe a little more hop bitterness, maybe a little more hop flavor. Okay, maybe a little more hop aroma. Okay, fine. And that would be valid feedback at the end. That's Say that again. The, the hop aroma and flavor may come out when the imperfections are gone, basically. Exactly. That would have been outstanding feedback at the end. Um, you know, as I get it, it needs more hop, and the you know, base recipe needs this. So, next, sanitation issues. Okay, what kind of advice do we want to give this person about sanitation? Start. <laughs> nice. How about replace all worn or cracked hoses? Um, 
make sure everything that touches the beer after fermentation starts, is, you use a sanitizer like Iota 4 or Star Sand. Uh, make sure there are no deep scratches or uh, cracks in any of the fermentation equipment. Uh, make sure that you use fresh fermentation equipment in terms of it's, you know, it's been well rinsed, well sanitized, well cleaned, uh, that kind of thing. <coughs> what if the brewer intentionally made it, was working to make a sour ale, it just hadn't gotten there yet? Wrong class. Right. Yeah. So if you were intentionally souring this, it needed to be in a different category. It might not have been this sour when it left your home. Maybe you go up for a flanger bit. Okay. Um, so those are just some ideas. Process flaws, the process flaws that we had in this, acetylaldehyde, fermentation, um, any diacetyl notes, anything like that, those would be process flaws as well. So sanitation, so three major areas to look at, recipe design, fermentation issues or process issues, and sanitation issues. So I thought it was really oxidized. So I said like minimize <laughs> in what way was it oxidized? It just felt, because to me, astringency and ox, um, oxidation and dryness is, it feels different in my mouth. So it, it tasted more like oxidation than astringent to me. Okay. The what would you do to address astringents typically? Don't sparge so much. Don't over sparge, don't sparge too hot. What if it's an extract burr? Don't steep over all don't oil your grain. Don't sleep. An awful lot of extract growth will oil the grain. Don't oil your grain. Um, so, good, good deal. Good deal. Do you have to enforce the cleanser pallets? methods for 
producing. And I do mean traditional. Almost every brewer these days uses an infusion mash or an upward step mash, uh, which we talked about in the, uh, in the process class. One particular type of beer that could show up is uh, classic American Pilsner. And it, like a, like a standard American lager, will use a cereal mash. And a cereal mash is similar to decoction in that the cereal grains, in this case corn or rice, are mashed with a small amount of citro barley, typically. Um, and generally it's a three to one ratio to four to one ratio. So for every three pounds of rice or corn, you would use one pound of barley. You can get away with four to one with six row. After that, you're kind of getting a little dicey. But that's brought up, held at 155 degrees, and then boiled to gelatinize the starches in the, uh, in the grain. Another variation of cereal mash, and that's, that's for using things like uh, uh, flaked grains. A variation on it where the big, what the big boys will do is they won't even put the uh, six row in with the cereal grains. They'll use corn grits or rice grits, which, by the way, good old fashioned polenta works great for this. Um, Italian yellow corn polenta works perfect for this. Just bring it up like you're making polenta, gelatinize all of the starches that way, and then that is sluiced into the main mash and it creates a 10 degree Celsius rise. So it'll take you from 50 degrees, which is a protein rest, on up to 60 degrees, which is saccharification. Okay, or low saccharification, actually, I'm sorry. Yes? So would we be wrong then on recipe design if they, uh, say, gave us a cap, if we used uh, pre-gelatinized stuff like flaked maize? No, it'd be perfectly fine. And so then we wouldn't you could go straight in with, with yeah, you go straight in with a uh, an infusion mash, a gelatinized. But you can increase your points, increase your score by showing a cereal mash. Or could I say I will use this in lieu of a cereal mash? Sure. Why not? And still get decent points. Get decent points. I'm trying to save time. That's fine. Um, cereal mash. All you'd have to do is say start with corn grits, bring it up to a boil, a loose boil. Um, and allow it to gelatinize and then add it to the main mash. You just want to hit your strike um, temperature so that you start at around 140 degrees and then bring it up to 155 degrees to finish the mash. Okay? So that's a 10 degree Celsius rise. So we want to... Let's talk about... That's what we're asking, being asked for. Quick question. Um, we put um, percentages of different... Uh, percentages is good. Yeah, put it in it. But you will need to, at some point, specify actual grain amounts. Okay. okay? And you need to specify it in a couple of different ways. First off, we're going to state that this is a five-gallon recipe. Okay. 
they're not, ex they're not expecting 10 gallon or 20 gallon recipes, although I have had somebody turn in a 10 barrel recipe. <laughs> and he got his ass nailed on it too, because he specified everything in 10 barrels, and uh, that, but specified all of his grains in uh, kilograms. So he was mixing his, uh, his weights and his measures. And they don't quite line up. He should have specified it in hectoliters. Um, okay, so we're at five gallons. <clears throat> what do we know that we're going to need in a Bohemian Pilsner? Well, we're going to need Pilsner. Malt. Okay, make sure you write malt. If you just write Pilsner or you just write two row, it will be considered grain, unmalted. Specify malt. We know that we're going to need some hops. What kind of hops are traditional in the style here? Any other grains required for this kind of beer? Target. 
What did we say 75% efficiency equates to? Or how does the rule of five work out on this? Do we remember what the rule of five is? Five gravity points per pound. Yeah, let's per, this per gallon. The rule of five, that's the easier one. Say 1050. That's for 70% efficiency though, isn't it? Yeah. 1052 would be would give us a so we want to change the efficiency number? That's fine. We just have to state it. 70%. Why not? Where your own goes with 65%. Okay, so if we say 70%, rule of five, we're looking at 25 points per pound, correct? You guys following me as to what I mean there? Okay, so we've got five gallons, so I'm going to need two pounds per gallon, or 10 pounds total, right? So we will have nine and one half pounds and one half pound. Okay? So we quickly thumbnailed out and we nailed our efficiencies and we simply made our targets match what we're going to write this recipe for the easiest we can. I happen to work on 75%, I go 26 points per pound, so I, that would be how I would calculate things out. But basically we come up with 10 pounds of grist. No problem. What does the rule of fours say about um, our uh, hops. HBUs times 4 equals IBUs. HBUs times 4 and HBUs equals what? Uh, IBUs times weight in ounces. Yeah. IBUs times weight in ounces. Yeah, the alpha acid. Yeah, you're right. The alpha, I knew what you meant. The alpha acid. Okay? So what is our target for IBUs? 40. 40 IBUs? Sure. Okay. So, divide by 4. Divide that by 4, we need 10 HBUs. 2 ounces of 5. So we'd have, yeah, 2 ounces of 5, if we can get those these days. Size 5. Stocks at five is kind of high. Four, four to four and a half is about best it ever does. Right now it's running, next year's crop's going to run like 3%. So if we said, if we kind of knew or kind of said, three percent, one ounce is going to give us 12, two ounces is going to give us 24. 3 ounces is 36, 4 ounces is 48, so 3 and a half. Okay? Just because you are allowed, by the way, to bring one basic calculator to do this <laughs> recipe question. It helps. It also helps if you want to do stats on anything else and figure out original gravity to final gravity. If you can remember the original gravity, you can also go, oh, the final gravity is 80% attenuation or 75% attenuation from there. 25% of that value, there's my range. Cool, I just got two stats. 
stats are not so important, but they can make the difference in being able to show that you really know your style or not. Okay? So, if I want 40 IBUs, I'm going to divide that by 4, and divide that by 3. And actually, I need 3 and a third. Three and a third ounces. Three and a half is a pretty good ballpark to get my 40 IBUs. I would have gone 45 and just made the three and the 45 and just done the math that way in my head. But um, what we have done here is we've named an efficiency, which gave us an amount, and we've given ourselves percentages. We've named an alpha acid, a target IBU, and given ourselves an exact ounce at that weight, okay? That tells um, the scorer that you understand how the math is going to work. I had someone recently, they did a brilliant job of writing out the entire formula for figuring out hop utilization. The entire formula is all right there, but they never saw the formula. They just gave me a target IBU, that formula, and named a hop. And as it turned out, this particular person was a long time grader, too, so I had a little, a little bit of fun at his expense. Um, okay. So we've got our hops, we've got our malt, uh, we know what we're going to do here. Are there any, is, does Bohemian Pilsner have any aroma hops? Actually, it does. You can use Hallertau, but sauce is actually more appropriate. So we have three and a third ounces. It doesn't really matter. We're just, we know that they come typically in two ounce increments, so we're going to say two thirds of an ounce. Meter at the time. Yeah, we will. At this point, you can, in your recipe, name the time in there. Or, in your process, when you actually name your process, when it comes time to boil, say, you know, boil for, you can say, boil for 30 minutes, add your hops, boil for another 60 minutes, and add your two-thirds of an ounce to the last minute, and not that. Okay? Done with it. Uh, okay, but first off, we have to do a mash procedure. What's missing from the mash procedure here? Water. Water. Here's where you're going to need the calculator again. First off, what kind of treatment do you want to give the water? You want to say very soft? Very soft between the high salt combo. Low sulfate, low carbonate. Here's a good touch. It's very, uh, it's very obvious to a grader 
uh, if you have brewed the beer, typically, in how you state things and how you phrase things. So you could simply say, you could either say, I would, which kind of says, I don't really make this style of beer, but here's what I think could work. It could be broken. Or you could say, what I like to do is,
You basically hit about 130 degrees, taking off one third of the thickest portion. You are boiled, bringing that to a boil and stirring it the entire time, adding that back in, and then pulling off and doing it again, pulling it off and doing it again. You're not actually going to make the recipe, but you can write it. So, um, you write that out, that decoction mash recipe. Write that as a two-stage if you want, as long as you get some kind of decoction in there, because you will not get the proper pH without a decoction with that kind of water. You will have to mineralize, or you'll have to acidify the water. And we don't really want to do that. We want to go with plastic style. Okay. And then you start with the remaining water to collect how much? Because we're going to lose a gallon and a half? Six, six, six and a half. Six and a half gallons. So at the very end, all you have to do is say sparge with what temperature? 168 H2O to collect. 6.5 gallons. Okay. Should we maintain consistent units or should we say Sure, if you want. Absolutely. You can convert this to quart. Convert that to gallons too. Right. If you want. However however you want to do it. It doesn't as long as you're you're staying in US measurements to US measurements and you're not suddenly converting over to liters over here. Because honestly, you don't want the graders to have to reach for the calculator. Otherwise, who's taking the test? It ain't the graders. You will not win that argument. <laughs> um, okay. Sparge collect six and a half gallons. Boil. Three minutes. To enhance. Hot break. One thing you can put up here is say boiling or bittering. So you can Shorthand it, you can either write add three and a third ounces of sauce, hops, or just write hops. Or you can just write add bittering hops. Well, 60 minutes. Okay. And the first stage, low saccharification. 
to increase fermentability. Upper stage to completely convert all sugars, uh, all starches into sugars. And then mash out to completely stop enzyme action. You can add those adjectives in there. It's not necessary. But it does show more depth of knowledge. Okay? So we've gotten all the way through the boil. Still work. That's kind of important. Can't fix the yeast till it's chilled. But we can be more specific. In 30 minutes or less, why? To, to prevent EMS or to reduce EMS. Which, by the way, lets me say, what, what could we say about the boil? We could say it should be a rolling, vigorous, uncovered boil. Okay? So we can add these words in there. And they don't take very long to write in. Remember, you've got between 12 and 15 minutes per question to write this out. So you have to synopsize, but you can still be complete. We've now produced our work. Chill. Should we say what temperature the chill is down to? Mm -hmm. Sure. We can start by saying that at pitch yeast. Vigorous yeast. Yeast strain. Mm -hmm. At what temperature do we want to pitch this, this yeast? 50 degrees, okay. Use what? What kind of strain? Pilsner? Pilsen? Check. Check pills? Check pills. Check 2001? White Labs, whatever the number is. Any way you want to express it, that's fine. more proper to put it up there, but probably you'll think of it down there. But just make sure you know it. Okay? Oxygenate. You can oxygenate before you pitch your yeast. You can oxygenate work. Yep. Yeah. Right it's better to do it before, but oxygenate work thoroughly. Be precise as to how much you want to say. Just say oxygenate, oxygenate that's fine. Um, what I would do here is just say amperate. Amperate or aerate well. Okay? Because that could be rocking, splashing, could be direct you know, introduction of O2. Again, you could put a little thing. I like to use direct oxygen before I pitch. You know. You're basically showing a good way that you would give feedback. Because you're not going to, let's face it, you can say, I got to see a lot of you need to oxygenate the work. You're not going to tell them to go get an aeration stone. You're just going to tell them to oxygenate the work by 
direct O2, rack, uh, splashing, shaking, rocking vigorously, anything it takes to introduce oxygen in there to get a better yeast health out of it, right? Okay. You guys got this part? Can I erase this? You guys good with this? I'm just, this stuff is all on the page. How much attenuation do we expect from that yeast? 80%? Okay. So if we can expect 80%, then we know that we can say Fg 1.010. Okay. When primary fermentation complete, I wouldn't say ferment for two weeks or 10 days or whatever. Primary fermentation at what? Fifty-five degrees? Fifty degrees? Doesn't matter. Okay. Fifty degrees. Fifty-five is perfectly adequate, but that's fine. Primary ferment. Okay. When complete. And here you can just put typically three weeks. I find my fermentations that cold tend to take three weeks. Or you can just write when complete. What's the next step we want to do with the lager? Yeah. 
You can write the one to three months, or you can just flat out state three months. Okay? Okay? Packaging. Last step. Packaging.
you should say how much. But you need to make a calculation here. And it can get complex. The idea is, is that it could take up to 20% of the original volume of the beer at the same gravity of that beer. So if we start with a 1050, but we don't want to add that much volume. We need to basically raise the gravity to get this volume. We need to raise the gravity by 1.002. Okay. So if it's going to take about a gallon of, of work at 1050 to raise it by 1.002, according to all the manuals, it's kind of dubious if you do the math. It doesn't quite work out that way. But the idea is that you're working yeast that has already brought that gravity down a little bit. So if it's going to take a gallon to bring it up, so what if I were to put in, say, a half a gallon at 1.1? And just let the yeast that's already in there do the job. It is kind of linear. Just more sugar. It's just more sugar, yeah. It's the same amount of sugar and less more. But you wind up with 5.5 gallons. So, if I were going to do that, I want to go back to my beginning Rev Spingle for 5.5 gallons. Yeah, because you guys your hops now. No, because you've, you've used exactly the same formula, exactly the same ratios to create your uh, your guile. Yeah, if you just, just created more concentration out of it. Well, then, yeah, if you made it and took it, you put it in the fermenter in the first place. Croisoning is more problematic, more <laughs> trouble than it's worth. You would just say prime or croissant to get 2.5 volumes and be done with it. Take the half point hit if it won't matter. <laughs> okay? You can also just say cap off, cap off the primary. You can say cap off the primary when, it, when you're 2 degrees above terminal gravity, but that assumes you know how to measure to our terminal gravity. And that's fine. Um, the, as long as you say something like this, give a volume measurement, and say that you're going to carbonate the beer, you package it. You're done. Because all of this procedure and the rest of it is in total worth, I think, three and a half points. So this one little element is not worth much more than a few tenths. Okay. You probably didn't say that you force carbonate the 2.5 volumes, although it's traditional. To the exactly. And that would show depth. And that would get you, it would be a great way to dodge a bullet. So, now, if this is worth three and a half points, the targets that we have, the specification is worth about a point. Okay? We've now earned four and a half points. But it takes six to, um, to basically get a passing score. Three and a half points exist in how? Okay. Very important part of the question. How do we describe a beer? 
sugar, mouthfeel, experience. So we're going to talk about how this recipe fits style based on aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, appearance, traditional ingredients, traditional process. Those are keys. Okay? It fits style because we use traditional filter malt. Noble. Classic American Pilsner. 
So we started with, well, we start with the same grist for an American IPA, 11 and a half pounds of two row, a little bit of medium crystal, maybe have another half pound of black patent malt, and a half pound of chocolate malt. English chocolate. You can be right up there at the very top of there. We can back off the base malt a little bit, you know, good nine or ten pounds of base malt. Okay. And what would we use for hops with that? EKG bones. Target. Any British bittering hops. Good British bittering hops. Challenger, Challenger, Target, EKG bones. That's right. Bavarian Hefeweizen. 50% wheat malted wheat. 50% wheat malted wheat. And 50%, what's the base grain? Pilsner. Pilsner. German Pilsner. Right. You can say those are German filters that. What's the hop that we want to use? Oh, I can't remember. Well, if you can't use dead in German, then. Sure you can. Sure you can. You can also use spalt if you want. But as long as it's one of the nobles. Okay? Wouldn't use sods. But. Speaking of which, does anybody have an opinion on whether or not Lublin is a noble hop or not? Maybe if it's in English. How about holler powder can be used? Very low holler powder. 
Um, would you use a decoction mesh for this? So what special technique would you toss in there to make this beer turn out exactly as you want it to? Yeast and fermentation tech. Now let's be more specific. What special technique could you throw in there to assure that you get the right profile? Twenty-two for for the first rest and bump it up to one fifty-two. Okay, that's good mash temperatures. But we're, we're we've centered in on fermentation temperatures being a key to this style. I'm going to free right up to about seventy for the entire fermentation. No, seventy let it rise about eighty-four. Let it rise Let's hear that one more time. Start at 70, let it rise about 84. Now that might be too far for this particular use. That's good for a saison. Um, but for this style, you probably want to keep yourself down in the lower reaches of ale temperatures, 65 to 68 degrees, for about the first four to five days so that you get clean ethanol and reduce fusels. Then you would let it rise to create what? Esters. Dryer. Esters. What else? Phenol. Phenol. And what kind of phenol do Belgian beers have? Spicy. Spicy. Spicy clove. meaning? Clove. No. Never clove in Belgian beers. Pepper. Pepper. Black pepper. Pepper. Clove is hefeweizen. And by the way, same technique. Same fermentation technique. Right, yeah. Start cold, start cool, keep it cool for a couple of days, and then let it rise. You'll severely reduce the amount of banana and increase the kind of uh, clarity to the uh, spiciness and create a lot of balance that way. How, how high would you let it rise to? 72. Oh, yeah, don't be that high. So we can lower something for a while. Clove in hefeweizen is, is an appropriate flavor in German hefeweizen. Yeah, go get a so the styles that we're going to be looking at for possible recipes, I've just gone through them all, is Belgian Triple, Oktoberfest, Doppelbach, Classic American Pilsner, American IPA, Bohemian Pilsner, German Pilsner, Robust porter, dry stout. Hey, this is mint. Look, look. <laughs> this is all in the study guide, too. In the question <coughs> pool in the study guide. But I'm going to have to just look up one question pool. So, where were we? Robust porter, dry stout, Bavarian half of Eitzen. An English bailout, ESP. So if you know how to make all, the, all, all those recipes through, you might be sound. Yeah. And if you've noticed, the keys that we have talked about here have all been essentially two malts, one hop. You can get more complex if you want, but two malts, one hop. Get your numbers right. Back your way into the numbers. 
rule of five, rule of four, 75% extraction or 70% extraction, and just count your number of quarts.
So we're looking at Actium Blonde.
It's 100% Pilsner malt, Pilsner recipe for the Saison yeast. Okay, what's coming right now is Belgian Pale Ale. Oh, 
This is another Belgian PML. But this one is not inspired by English beers. This one is inspired by Northwest American beers. Good 
The conic when it's fresh is unbelievable. But I've never had it fresh in the States. It's probably not fresh in my own. It's not apples. So, it's hard to buy. But based on this guideline, the, uh, this amber to co the copper. It's a little out of range. It's a little bit. Well, the, the one we had before was a little closer to amber. <laughs> A little out of the 30 IBU range. <laughs> this is not a 30 IBU? Yeah, I think so. Is this is bigger than 30 IBU, you think? By how much? 20. That's not a 50 IBU here. No way. The dryness in there, compared to an American IPA, the, the dryness that really makes that pop stand out. I. I would be very, very surprised if this is higher than that. Don't take this on the label. Well, 
Yeah, it'll go through a bright cherry phase and then really mature and deepen. Okay, I can see that. So, uh, I've had nine-year-old versions of these kinds of things more I just turned really I got the Spanish beard of Sonoma in there, which is a berry garden. So without really high alcohol content or IBU content, what's keeping us from turning what's allowing to age? Well, it's six and a half percent alcohol for this particular. And I know that the darker version is eight, eight percent. Um, so alcohol is definitely playing a factor in this. But mostly it's just the fact that it's on leaves. It's got the yeast in there, and the yeast continues to change. What's this uh, commercial example? Castellet. C-A-S-T-E-L-A-I-N. You get more of a lager flavor in this than in ale. Mm -hmm. A lager smoothness. Yeah. I get a lot of sweetness to it. Um, I get a richness to the malt. <coughs> um, a little white raisin kind of note to it. Out of this. 
stopping definite stopping.
there's a certain muskiness to both of them, a chocolatey sort of character, raisiny sort of character. There's a certain richness of malt in there. There's alcohol warmth, but it's not the overriding flavor. Um, they have a complexity and a depth to them that you won't find in similar colored beers without as much age. These are major hallmarks of the style. They're trying to unite all the colors. Uh, 
some of the some of the most famous breweries in Belgium that we hear about have <laughs> capacities that are they're they're running they're making less beer than Black Diamond is up there in that end of the beer. And they're they're making less than three thousand barrels a year. You know, that's brew pub size. That's what most brew pubs serve across the uh, counter is two thousand barrels. And a lot of these places are barely cracking a thousand barrels, if that. Some of the most uh, classic breweries, Rochefort, in its heyday, made 1,500 barrels a year. Which one is this? This is Scaldus. Like a lot of honey and sherry kind of. Honey, sherry. Even in the flavor of sherry. Oh, how does the body compare to, say, what we just had with Beardy Dark? Seems fuller body. But really, it's just about as rich. It's maybe It's got a lot more going on in terms of cloying flavor, fruitiness, and such. But the thing that makes this really seem big is the amount of upfront, in your face alcohol. Oh, yeah. This is like having a whiskey or and there's a significant amount of sweetness here that doesn't exist in the very garden. The Lachou is right around 7.5% alcohol. Good healthy amount. Anybody want to take a venture as to how big the skull this is?
So here we have another Belgian specialty ale. This is meant as a clone of Orval, so if you guys want to wait a second before drinking it, just go ahead and pass it out. So if you guys don't want to, just, just use, utilize the aroma, work on the aroma, work on the appearance. And I'm going to pass some actual Orval around. Darker, yeah. The clarity too, it's a little more hazy. A little more hazy. 
similar yeah, head. Yeah. That could come be because it came from smaller bottles, and you know, it does have bees in it. It looks pretty similar to me. Okay, aroma? There's much more aroma in the homebrew. Of course, this is probably colder. So. You get more bread aroma or sour in the Orval. But. When you guys say more bread aroma, what are you specifically talking about? What sour. is it that signifies bread? Sour or, or is it the leather aspect to this? The leather or Okay, and when you get into the, um, the Orval, are you finding those same notes? Not as brightly, but they're there. The Orval is obviously uh, kind of mellowed out. Uh, must be with time and age that has taken place that's kind of decreased the amount of uh, yeasty and malt uh, uh, up front flavor. Well, what if the Orval is, what if the Bertanomyces hasn't fully taken hold here? What if it is still developed? It, it's possible. <clears throat> what would you use as a clue for that? Body. Body. Um, body. Yeah. Body and maybe a little bit of sweetness. Right. There is sweetness. So maybe the sore valve hasn't peaked as far <laughs> as the hunger example. Why I said it's really hard to say if it is or isn't a clone because you don't know how far the actual Dior actually is. Right. So tell us a little bit about the, the clone here because I'm, I find the aroma very, very pleasant for what it's supposed to be. Uh, brewed in April. It was actually the first batch on the new system that my wife bought me. She bought me one of these. So it was aptly named uh, Blondie's Golden Delight Abbey Special. Never talked to my wife. <laughs> 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 Was it, did you pitch the <coughs> Panamices at the same time you pitched the Sacramices? Went in, uh, I did I do just a bottle? No, I think I actually put it into a secondary, let it sit for a bit. I actually used Drake's more ball. Two bottles, I think. Let it sit on it for a while. But it did all its normal stuff with uh, the, the Bastone, White Labs Bastone. What did you use for Pacey's? Um, Pilsner. I, it was Belgian Pilsner. And uh, I'll think, um, shoot, I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But it had uh, sugar in it also. I used uh, turbinado sugar on this one. The original one I used table sugar. This was a modified of the first one that I did. And just a little bit, I think it was uh, whatever the... Uh, Belgian crystal is. Caribbean. Yeah, Caribbean. That was about it. Actually, after reading uh, Brew Like a Monk, the, the one guy who cloned it in that book, Laval, Abbey Special, took some of the, the notes and just went with what I thought would be something close with the stuff that I had available. Now, feel-wise, I think you did a perfect job. Uh, Culturing right from your mouth. I mean, I, I 
thinking you said the jury's going to respond on. Um, I think the hopping is just about right. I think it was a sad hop that I used in it, too. Absolutely bright light. Pushing it to the dark. 
Flavor. Sweet maltiness. Sweet maltiness up front, feeding to a slight sour. You know, it's, it's like that sour to finish before it dissipates. Another yeast to fight with in order to create more, est more esters. 
takes a long time for it to develop. It's very clean to start with. So when we talk about these beers, please do not use the word infect with pergamonyces. Okay? A couple of reasons for that. One, the actual word should be contamination. I'm not going to stop you from using uh, infected and use that on your test. You're not going to get marked down for it at all. The real term is contamination if it, if it is not intended. An infection indicates a festering sore, which these are not. <laughs> Unless you get that 13 But... Um, you know, so, in this case, the Britannomyces is quite intended. So, to say it's contaminated or infected or whatever else is very unfair to Belgian beers. It's not true. They are inoculating. That's exactly the right word. Inoculating? It's intended. They dosed it. They put it there. Okay? These flavors are, are exactly what the brewers intended. And that's very important as brewers, is that a contamination or infection, a wild yeast, might be this exact Britannomyces in another beer because it's uncontrolled and unintended. But in this beer, it's quite intended. Okay? We're moving into doubles.
Okay, so what are you guys getting for appearance out of this? Bridge red. Caramel color. Yes, coffee color. Amber. Doubles are dark by comparison. Dark simply means they're not golden in Belgian terms, as we'll find out later. <laughs> Strong dark, which are not always this dark. It just means they're not gold. Right. Pale amber is not always a pale, pale color. Pale Okay, so. Uh, aroma? Earthy, okay. Raisiny, good. Apricot? Yeah. Or peach? Peach and side fruit. Plum? Definite stone fruit? Positive way of putting a spin on that. Oh, 
Chimay is an actual Trappist. Athlium is, is an abbey. The difference is Trappists are actually made in a monastery. Abbey beers are oftentimes made to sound like they came from an abbey, but they are made secular. Aren't they also sometimes licensed by the others? They can be. But they're uh, still but an abbey and not a Trappist, right? If it's licensed. Correct. Right. Oh, well, my thing is you had six Trappist breweries that were licensed. It doesn't necessarily mean they're that much different from some of the abbeys. It's not Trappist. Or they're it's a license of being allowed to use the Trappist. Right. Well, the Trappist are actually brewed. The Trappists are actually brewed in monasteries, usually by monks, but many of them have hired secular brewmasters. Okay? And the monks will do the day-to-day -day labor, but they have one person in charge of the brewery per So, you know, it's not a qualification that you have to be a monk to be the head brewer. They just jump you in. <laughs> Yeah, I get a lot of plastic. 
cylinder tube is actually reading. Next week is what's the next week? Reading center. I don't know.
when they found Pilsner was really popular, they said, we can make something really golden too. And we'll put lots of alcohol in it. <laughs> <laughs> Am I still pouring or are we good? I've got a few more tasters left. Okay. You just pour in less. I'll get to this. <laughs> All right. You know where it's at. You can direct me where it's at. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, most of the way. Until you pick me up. I said I walked off the wall. The triples are the triples, but the golden strongs are kind of secular versions of the triples with more alcohol. And so they almost always have diabolical names. This is where you get La Fin du Monde, the end of the earth. Beelzebub, damnation, and Duvel. Okay, the Duvel literally means devil. I don't think I'm going to serve the Beelzebub at 13%, but considering everybody's dying over here. Just bring it to next class, that'll be the starter. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'll get everybody warmed up for a good lesson. It's a Monday night, right? Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> you guys just want to go straight for the damnation and then go to Bell. Where? Yeah. Skip the Duval. Skip the Lafindemon. Did you get half Lafindemon? No. Yeah. 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 Lafindemon is funny because it means the end of the earth, but Lafindemon, it doesn't actually mean like Armageddon, end of the earth. What they're actually referring to is Nova Scotia, which was the end of the world as far as they were concerned in early explorations of North America. Clove, yeah, where pepper would be appropriate. 
Well, I think the clove is an artifact of the Lapindamon yeast. Not typical of the style, but just because this is closer to us, uh, you know, it's here. It's, it's one of the things that they, they make really well. So if you have this beer with somebody, you got it, you know, like, Six, eight months, like it. I've never been I've never made this for now. Okay. Or, you know, like, you know, because that's well, typically the, the triples you get from, or the hard channels from. Belgium. I wonder if it, I wonder if it looks good. Good point. I didn't make that. Maybe the clothes are going to go away. What did you just say? You're going to make one. I'm going to make one. One Budweiser. It's a good point. I've never laid it down. Nice job. I like this. This is pretty good. Good. First time I ever went to the restaurant ever growing company, I was uh, I went with my ever faithful girlfriend slash wife. Well, both of them? Yeah. <laughs> and they embodied the same person, which is really cool. Um, and she's always been a really kind of proper type. She's just really cool. But she ordered sanctification, and I ordered damnation. <laughs> <laughs> and she liked it. She she tried sanctification. She and she looked at me, and she literally said, "This is boring." And she tried the damnation, and she wouldn't give it back. <laughs> That's when I learned that my usually very prim and proper girlfriend. Yeah, but as she tried salvation, we all enjoy. A little bit of damnation. We like damnation. I like damnation, but I think salvation is better. Which is, I mean, without a little damnation, salvation doesn't mean anything. I think he's got one. What's the other one? Oh, okay. No, I'm just sorry. Well, you have mine, did you? Well, I've got an extra one myself. All right. I have two. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's 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 very Samuel Clemens. Damnation over salvation. You guys have heard that about him, right? A line that he made. And he said, Why would I want to go to heaven? What's in heaven? A whole bunch of monks and priests and saints and such. But in hell there's a whole lot of gamblers and smokers and cursers like me. <laughs> so, what are you getting out of this? Uh, uh, I've seen priests that I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, well, I'm Catholic. Catholic. Going to hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm Catholic. You're allowed to drink. We're encouraged. Yeah, me too. I'm a Catholic. I'm a nice one. I'm a recovery. I'm a convert from about ten years ago. Went from Baptist to Catholic. Oh, you just came for the alcohol. <laughs> you know why you take two Baptists on a fishing trip? Because if you only take one, he'll drink all the beer. Okay, so what are you getting this aroma wise? Banana? Sure. Pepper? Yeah, sure. Pepper. 
many of these? I'm still tasting them. Um, a little bit like uh, vegetal, the can. You're getting like a cream corn thing? Yeah. Anybody else? I'm not finding any of this. Now. I think that's the banana that you get in. Yeah, I get that like laffy taffy kind of banana. Laffy taffy, yeah, sort of. How's that go? Laffy taffy. Can't talk, but you can still taste. Exactly. My tongue is as thick as my neck. Triples make your tongue swell. That's true. Pepperiness in the flavor. Dryness in the finish? Dryness Belgian brewers tend to be a lot more independent. 
my experience with algebra is generally in a cluster high and low. You, you get, and it's easy to pick out the exceptional ones. Um, and then there are a lot that are, you know, that really miss the mark. There aren't all that many in the middle. Belgian beers don't suffer from the same uh, stigma that they used to. It used to be that if you had an infected beer, you simply entered into Belgium. <laughs> Do you think the Belgian beers are less likely to go to like best of show than more defined styles? There's always a Belgian beer best of show because it's its own category. I, I just mean, or like to, to, to do well. I will order best to show to a Flanders Red. A strongly sour beer. Ultimately, it's all about the balance. It's about understanding style and about the balance. Is there a horse blankety kind of threat character in this? Yes. We got kind of nutty. Nutty's in there. Far more triple-esque without the body. This has a lot more of a uh, drier, lighter body. Definitely more alcohol warming. But very triple-esque in terms of the pepperiness and in terms of the aroma. But none of the fluffiness. So much like the devil, it's a very ground-bound kind of beer. A fruity apple flavor. Okay. I can see an apple out of it. Yeah. Tart. I can see an apple. Kind of a, a tartness, yeah. Mm -hmm. Something wrong. Or a triple might be more ethereal. It's definitely just, just straight ahead. So how many volumes would this be? This is like three and a half. It's huge. It holds a head even without a beer in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody want more of the devil? Not worth throwing out. So is there bread in this then? Is there, yes. Yeah. There's bread in virtually every Belgian beer. Anybody else? Hmm. Have to keep that in mind. I like that. Do you want one? I think you missed it. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. Can we get a, more, a little more developed back here? Yeah. Tasting of various ages of shenanigans. 
oldest was 1962. Oh, wow. And they have pictures of the pictures of the bottles. This guy, I think, they was in, um, in Belgium. They'd have to be able to, to, yeah. to find one from 1962. And, and I don't they, think they, they were clear about where they found it, or if one of them you know, had actually laid it down, or something like that. They had like a 62, and uh, I forget the others. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's Strong Golden, 
tossed it into the penal and let it go. It's inoculated. He hasn't done anything to it. Uh, but it gains a definite pertanomyces to it, and pertanomyces will form a pellet. He's trying to avoid that. Uh, so by topping up, you prevent it from, yeah. from yeah, pertanomyces? Yeah, not getting it in the air. Yeah. Okay, and pertanomyces works off of air? Pellicles are a response to air. Okay. Toshed. And what his feeling is is that if he if he gets the pellicle, then he has already encouraged aerobic bacteria to work and create sourness that he doesn't want. So he pops up to kind of prevent that. And so far, it's been a good strategy. Okay, how about if you inoculated a barrel with a sour mix? Well, he's got a pinot that he did a Flanders red. And he's definitely encouraged to pop Profoundly sour right now, but really very cherry and almondy. Which are, we'll find out, our primary flavors in the sour beers. At least in cleanly sour Not so much maybe in lemons, almond, not sure. Now, can you prevent the pellicle too by doing a, pulling off and filling it back up, like say five, ten gallons, whatever, and just capping it back up? How fast do you touch? I did one in one month, and now this one's sitting there waiting for the batch to get done, maybe two, three months. How long is the, uh, is, how long between batches is the uh, barrel? The barrel's never been empty. It's always getting refilled. Then you're probably not going to Now, is that going to, each subsequent batch of pull-out's going to be changed differently just because of the different age, even though it's being refreshed. Okay. It's change. Your first year is usually your most aggressive. Your second and third years are pretty mellow. And your third, fourth, and fifth years tend to just kind of prescribe. In fact, everything if you blend back your first year into whatever comes afterwards, it takes on the first year characteristics holds that for about six months and then Okay, back to the strong. <laughs> Sorry. Right. So I just had to Sidebar. entertain that right there for a while. <laughs> I'm not getting paid hourly, so I don't care. Um, well, quick nothing on that. Temperature. So, compared to the strong holding, what are your first impressions about this? Your overall impression of that. Let's not worry about specifics. But your overall impression is more stronger. Compared to, say, double. Richer. Fuller body. Richer, fuller body. Still relatively light. I think they're actually lighter than uh, doubles. And, and I think most of it has to do with the fact that the strength of the alpha. Alcohol will give a lightning effect to uh, the body. Sort of thinning. High alcohol. The thing about dark straws is that they're deceptively light. Golden straws will almost all give you some kind of indication that they're stronger. 
Strong darks will give you a lot of flavor, but almost never will give you an indication that they're going to make you stagger. And if you're getting the, the idea that Belgian beers are somewhat of a paradox, that what you expect absolutely doesn't happen, we're right. You know, you would expect strong dark to be a more intense, more robust beer, but it isn't. You would expect, you know, a beer like like Long Ale has all these hallmarks of of uh, triple and plenty of alcohol, but it doesn't seem to give you that appearance. And it, it's just got all this flavor, no but it's triple. And it's not nearly the intensity or the lingering flavor that the warmed has. Specialty. If there's a, a beer that's a specialty that someone calls a Grand Cru, what does that mean to you? Grand Cru simply means king of the heat. It means what my best. Grand Cru can mean wit beer. Grand Cru can mean um, Triple. It depends on the intent of the brewer. Almost always, Grand Cru moves slightly towards the wit beer and into the sours. In most cases, there's a slight little sour effect to it. But generally, I guess what what I find is, is that they tend to be the most sophisticated beers. They don't tilt in any one direction strongly. They balance all of those directions. And sometimes I'm actually disappointed by what I get from a grand crew. So if you're judging, and there's a beer in special category that's in, in that category, you're supposed to say what the you know what style you're emulating or what's you know, you know what it's why it is grand crew? You just call it grand crew, yeah. Is that appropriate? I'd have to taste it. I haven't, and so I designed that comment. Yeah. It, uh, for the first round national <laughs> election, right? They entered a dozen strong and um, scored a 40. And the comment from the judges were enter this as a grand crew. You know, especially as a grand crew, is it entered as a strong guard. Sounds like almost like a pompous way to enter. Like, this is awesome. my best. Yeah, this is the best you're gonna get in this competition. <laughs> 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 I, I thought that was kind of a strange. I'm gonna do that in IPA. <laughs> I thought that was a strange comment. You know, scoring a beer of forty and then and then saying, you know, oh, you should really enter this as a as a specialty, you know, grand fruit. Okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> That sounds a lot like a particular judge from Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember wow. the judge's name. <laughs> uh, I can look back at this question stuff. I mean, if, if it's a 40 beer, it's in the right category. What does he say? Would it be a 48? I don't know. Maybe it would be one of the top 40.
guys get out of this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not put Raise the shins. They used to get that out of the girls sometimes, too. We're talking about <laughs> <laughs> Almost a 
hate to say it, but it's a rocky smokiness which a lot of people say is Band-Aid. It's like a rock smokiness. Kind of like a scotch smokiness. Uh, uh, that's a little late. Uh, what the hell are you? It's almost 11 o'clock at night. Crazy. Yes, I got to get talented. Dude, come over here. Show it to me. Come here when you're done. You just. How many classes have you missed? And you're still going to take it up again? All of them. Crash course. This is Belgian. Crash course. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to drive a forklift right now. Not straight. I just have to walk the opposite. How do you know? Belgian strong guard. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we just finished what? What were we gonna finish? Long time. You guys are still here. Tuesdays, Christmas, Day.